Welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast. Tonight, we're recording from our home base of Kamikaze in Somerville's Davis Square. And to continue our February blog theme, we'll be talking about love, but not necessarily romantic love. Instead, we're going to spend the next half hour or so talking about love with a little twist. Things we hate to love or love to hate. I'm Erin McGrath. I'm Valerie Sacchetti. Elise Sacchetti. Sarah Franks Allen. So I'm thinking, because I'm the one who came up with the idea for this podcast, that I would be the first to confess and do the thing that I hate to love. Because everybody has something that's an extreme guilty pleasure. And previously, earlier this month in the blog, I wrote about my insane and never-ending love of musicals. But what I wasn't totally honest about is exactly how deep that obsession has gone, especially in my youth, as my poor sister here can attest to. I lived through the rent phase, so (laughs) I feel like a survivor. (laughs) To be fair, (laughs) I think there's a lot of musicals that, as someone who likes musicals, you kind of discover, you might obsess about over a little bit, and then you grow out of it, and Rent was totally one of those ones. I did that with a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein things that are more corny, like Sound of Music I never want to hear again, but I will fully admit that during my teenage phase, I developed and continued to have an obsession with Phantom of the Opera. Oh, God. (laughs) A terrible confession, indeed. And actually... I I had no idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is such a shocking revelation. (laughs) This theme actually works really well because musicals are, for me, a thing that I love to hate. So we're getting a (laughs) two On this theme, Valerie. So tell us a little bit more about your phantom obsession. The more that I think about it, and my sorry attempts to justify my 20-year obsession with this musical. Growing up as a kid, the musicals that I was mostly exposed to were really happy musicals. So we're talking about golden age, MGM-type musicals, like movie musicals. Or then we're talking about 1950s kind of things. And then the other kind of musical that I was exposed to, believe it or not, through my father was opera. So when I finally softened at the opera and realized that the two, in a way, could be combined into something that wasn't really like anything else that we were listening to before, and add that (laughs) cheesy romance elements and the drama and the costuming. And and the synthesizers. And the awesome (laughs) 80s rock synthesizers. So what you're talking about is an evil Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. You got opera opera in my musical, you got musical (laughs) in my opera. (laughs) Got it. Oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. And don't get me wrong, there was a good period of time where I was like, I'm too cool for Phantom of the Opera. But the problem with Phantom of the Opera is that it tours on a regular basis, and I kept getting free tickets or somebody who hadn't seen it. Wait a second, how many times did you go see that? I've seen it like three or four times. I mean, I, we saw it, like, once. We saw it once, and then Dad got I saw it. I saw it once. Right, well, because that's really telling, because I think you only wanted to see it once. And then Dad got me tickets, and I went with a friend, and then I went with... I took Lee one year, because Dad got some extra tickets. So that's actually, like, fairly recently, too, because we saw it as probably young teenagers, which yeah. is when you're... You're particularly... Vulnerable. Vulnerable to, like, the <laughs> angst and the... I mean... It's not spooky, but you mean like, you're you particularly wish it was spooky. You're particularly the of it all. Yeah. yeah, you're vulnerable to the music of the night. Yes, yeah, you're, you're vulnerable to the <laughs> music and the creatures of the night. who make it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. And to sort of compound that obsession, is that was always sort of lying dormant. Because as a result of my liking the musical, I've also developed this weird obsession with the character as well. I will spend hours online reading or watching people do reviews or critiques or analysis of the character through time. So from the original book where the Phantom is a very different character kind of than he is in the musical to how he became. So started as a monster, ended up as like sexy hack face guy who so wait, all I the ladies a, love. I have a really serious question then. Okay. Are you reading Phantom fan fiction? I have not. feels like the ultimate guilty but pleasure. But no, wait. Missed opportunity. <laughs> that, no, no, hold on. <laughs> it's all coming out now. So, <laughs> mine as well. It's a great segue. So, a couple of years ago, I discovered that not only was Phantom still, you know, it just celebrated its 30th birthday, actually, last month. So, 30 years on Broadway, I think. I'm not that knowledgeable. However, what I did discover is that, ladies and gentlemen, there's not just one Phantom of the Opera musical. There are two. There is a sequel. That's right. That's right. There is a sequel. <laughs> so I got invited to go see that show like two days after you went. I declined. Who what? invited you? That was probably the right choice. It's a long. I'm not going to out that person on this podcast. You should have told that person to invite me. I would have gone again. I laughed. It was a little last minute. I laughed so hard. Okay, so yes, I saw it. But not only did I see it, I had seen it before I even knew it was coming. And the title is. It's called Love Never Dies. It is like someone gave some horrible fanfic writer, like a bad fanfic writer who just wanted to come up with some excuse for Phantom and Christine to get together, millions of dollars to make a play. And his name was Andrew Lloyd Webber. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite bit of trivia about this musical was that he had intended to write it years ago and he started writing it and then he got a kitten named Otto. And that kitten climbed up on his electric keyboard that he was using to record and save the score and erase the whole thing. So you mean we were almost spared so, this yeah. tragedy by a kitten? <laughs> that, yeah. That kitten was some sort of deity sent <laughs> like, to save us. And uh, yet Andrew Lloyd Webber prevailed. <laughs> Otto could have been a great folk hero had it not been for, I think, the greed of all of the people who knew that this play could potentially make a lot of money. A little bit more background on the play. So it premiered in London and proceeded to get, well... The reception, yeah, the reception that it deserved. It's, it's not great. It's not good. The story is terrible. And yet the fact that it existed fascinated me to a point where I had to drag other people down with me. And the question that I was asking and that I continue to ask and challenge my, my poor, poor friends is, is it even possible to create a story that works as a sequel to The Phantom of the Opera Musical? Probably not one that's not extremely problematic. Sarah. (laughs) We're trying. (laughs) Not because I am as obsessed as Valerie has become with it, but because I think it's a fun project just to take something that is not working and try to see, can you make this work? Can I offer another suggestion? Sure. Maybe the musical is not the sequel. But the musical is about trying to make the sequel. Oh, like adaptation? <gasps> yeah. Like the Orchid Thief, but not really? Yeah. Oh my you gosh. Have a kitten. I'm just imagining a kitten, like, on a keyboard, like, 
clumsily tripping over it, be like, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, we're on to something here. <laughs> so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it out there that maybe it's the creation that's actually the story here. <laughs> Otto, the cat that would save the world, the musical. <laughs> Yeah, it could be. It could a be a story. It could be, be a story about Otto. Ooh, ooh, Otto the Rock Opera. It's <laughs> a missed opportunity. Oh, oh man, because I actually know someone who's writing a musical about a cat. <laughs> we know someone who writes rock operas. We also know someone who writes real rock operas. But I was not thinking about that. Oh, we do know someone who wrote a musical about a cat. <laughs> We have a lot not of Not cats. Guys. It's not cats, guys. <laughs> it's a cat. It's a cat. A special cat. We have a lot of opportunities here. Sounds like we really do. So I have been forcing Cartoon Sarah and another friend of mine. Not forcing. They have been participating with me in very long, in-depth conversations, which are actually interesting on two levels. So interesting in one and how far my depths of obsession will go to the point where I have to constantly go back to the source material and check things. So I did purchase the 25-year anniversary edition of Phantom of the Opera, which is a filmed concert version. But also, we have been discussing a lot about what makes a story work and what doesn't. This is like the ladies' favorite topic. We do this at book club all the time. Workshopping! Right. right. So Can we fix it? It's still a really good idea. Yeah. Also. So in some ways, this isn't maybe not that crazy. The, I mean, you, you can't see this, but they're all looking at me with pity. Well, <laughs> I had to watch the original Love Never Dies to try to figure out how to fix it. Actually, that was like and the 30th version of it. The yeah. original. You'd have to get a bootleg. <laughs> That is them trying to fix the original, the original horror that I'm existed. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I'll go back to the original to try to figure out how to treat a character in what we're writing, but I'm not watching Love Never Dies again. So Love, love Has Died. Yeah, yeah, it certainly has. In case you're not listening to this in real time, it's February 2018, and the show is I think just finished touring in Boston. So I think it just closed like this weekend. And of course, my friend and I, the exclusion of Sarah, who as mentioned, never wants to watch it again, actually went to go see it live. And I would say it was one of the greatest experiences of my life because let's see, the people in front of me left after the first act. As I was leaving, these two women behind me, one just turns to her friends and just goes, I just don't understand. That was totally unnecessary. That was completely unnecessary. <laughs> and yet, there she was and, and did not leave. Yes, and they stayed for the whole thing. And the house was packed. I was joking that we were going to go and sneak into the front row after the first act was done. No. No. I mean, there was a reason that Phantom of the Opera has been consistently on stage for 30 years. I just say it. <laughs> So, <laughs> so you, you hate to love this thing. Yeah, because it's not a good musical. It works, but in terms of, is it a well done, well thought out story with good characters? I'm not talking about the original show, right. right? There's a lot of better material out there. Absolutely. It's almost like, it kind of like how when you love a blockbuster movie that's Independence Day. 
It's almost like that, where you know deep down inside it's not a great movie. That's not true. Oh, I specifically picked that example. <laughs> I did. This is like bait. <laughs> and I took it. <laughs> dingle, dingle, dingle. Um, okay, but I, I'll agree with you. It's not a good movie. <clears throat> no. It's not a great work of art. It's not. But that doesn't mean that it's not enjoyable, right? It's also extremely accessible for people who maybe aren't really into musicals or musical theater as a thing or genre. I don't think it's going to... Counterpoint. Yeah. It so very much is a musical, though. It's, It's very intense in its feelings. Well, yeah. But what I'm saying is that a lot of times if someone's going to the Broadway and they don't know what to see and they don't know a lot about musical theater and they want a musical experience, a lot it's, of people will go to see Phantom. It's or pretty cats. much it's pretty much a cats. Harlequin romance. Yeah. Right? So people love those books. So why wouldn't people love this? Right. It's not challenging, right? You get to go there and like get all into the romance and pick whose side you're going to be on and you can be sad what happens at the end and in terms of it following in a story arc, it works. It's fine. The ending is actually a pretty good ending, which is why I never really understood the need for a sequel. Because love never dies, Valerie. <sighs> it never dies. No. Seriously, I could spend so much time laughing about how awful that play is. But I, I would rather people who are interested, you can watch it on YouTube, please, if you want to laugh for like two and a half hours. The costumes are beautiful. <laughs> the sets are very nice too. The sets are nice, but it's just it's, it's hilarious, and we have had private jokes about it for the past year and a half. So basically, you just told me that this is like the equivalent of saying that a girl has a really nice personality. <laughs> the costumes like, are pretty. If if I wanted to torture you, Aaron, I would I would. Oh gosh, what is that movie? Clockwork Orange. You would clamp your eyes open and make you watch it, and you would we, our friendship would end. That's how bad it is. Honestly, since it's all <laughs> visual stuff, it's more like saying a person is really, really good looking, but has the personality of a paper plate. Yeah, it is, but. <laughs> That, so that analogy is less, less appealing to me. <laughs> so now that we've spent like, oh, about almost half of our scheduled time discussing my weird obsessions, does anybody else have something that they wanted to talk about? Something that they love to hate or hate to love? I do have something that I kind of hate to love. And it's not something that I've talked about much with any of you, so this may be a little surprising. <gasps> it's an episode of Star Trek the original series, which I did not see a whole lot of until fairly recently, but this might have been the first episode I ever saw. And it is The Way to Eden, also known as the one with the space hippies. <laughs> oh, I, I have not seen this episode, but I have heard about yeah. this episode. <laughs> is it that infamous? It is yes. fairly infamous. So, liking this at all feels like actively disagreeing with Star Trek. Not Star (laughs) Trek fans, Star Trek itself. Because Walter Koenig, who plays Chekhov and is featured very prominently in this episode, does not like this episode because he feels like Chekhov is portrayed as very kind of military and straight-laced by the book kind of guy, and that's not how he saw the character, and that's not how he was pitched the character. The character was kind of pitched as the young, accessible, a little looser in his personality guy, who younger viewers might find appealing. 
James Doohan said it's the only episode of the original series that he doesn't like. <laughs> DC Fontana wrote the first draft of this episode, and she doesn't like how it turned out to the point where she has her pseudonym for her credit. Ouch. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so it is everyone not, hates it, but yes. <laughs> pretty much. And I don't deny that it is ridiculous. It is of its time, and to some degree... That's why I like it. But if I just wanted to like something that was ridiculous from original Star Trek, we've also got Space Lincoln and... <laughs> Oops, we left a book on 1920s U.S. history here last time. We visited this planet, and now we have Gangster Planet. So, Gangster Planet is definitely up there. <laughs> so it's not just that it's ridiculous. It's that, well, for one thing... For a 1960s show, it's a little less heavy-handed on drugs and counterculture than a lot of things. Mm. Captain Kirk still comes across as Space Joe Friday, but this being kind of a left-wing progressive show, it's not as one-sided as it might have been. And what I actually really like about it is how Spock is portrayed, because... If you haven't seen the episode, basically the plot is they have these space hippies on board. There is no other explanation. You know, the clothing says it pretty outright, and they have flowers painted on their faces and pastel and everything. It's not subtle. Original series is not subtle. And they're trying to find this mythical planet known as Eden, and of course they end up hijacking the Enterprise and, you know, all, all manner of the usual problems. But Spock is shown as being very understanding of these people and basically saying, well, yeah, the idea of a mythical paradise planet might be a little weird, but lots of myths are based in truth, and who are we to say that this isn't the thing that's going to happen? So he's pro-looking for Eden with them? Yes, and the idea that the emotionless Vulcan is the understanding one here is something that I just find really appealing about it. But because it's the most vilified episode of all time. You're feeling a little, uh... It's, again, it's so of its time. This is not one of those really timeless, even original series episodes. It is dated as anything. I don't disagree with any of the criticisms of it, basically, but it's just that... That one aspect of it, especially, how Spock comes across in it as just being more open-minded than pretty much the entire rest of the Enterprise crew is something that I really, really like. Well, it's interesting, because so both of you, for the thing that you hate to love, found there's some sort of truth in it, even with all of the hokiness, right? So the, both of the hatred of it comes from the hokiness, but the love part comes from really feel like connected to the message is that accurate i would say that i mean so if you really wanted to distill phantom of the opera down to its very core and is, we do <laughs> <laughs> was that really basic message of does everyone deserve love and for me what i find most compelling about the story is here's this character that grew up without knowing what love is and then how do you figure out what that is and does he deserve it like a lot of people will watch that and be like, oh, he's so tortured and he's a genius and he totally deserves to be loved. And then I watch it and I'm like, no, he's a murderer. <laughs> so, right? So for me... <laughs> coming down on the side of murderers don't deserve I don't 100% love. Like remember the story that well, I have to admit. But isn't he basically just pissed off because he got friend-zoned? Well, it's... But see, like, okay. 
It's, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't say no, because, like, essentially, right, but what he does to sort of, he deceives her at every point. She's a young girl. He lies to her, and he's basically like, oh, I'm this angel of music that your father said was going to come to you, and I'm going to teach you how to sing, and I'm going to give you a career, and I'm going to be this weird kind of oddly sexy father figure who's also kind of a creeper and stocky. You know what it reminds me a lot of is Twilight. <laughs> I was actually th- I was actually thinking about that earlier. Right. His intentions towards her are really kind of interesting to think about because there are a lot of people who will watch this show and be like, oh, it's because he loves her and no one's ever loved him and he just doesn't know how to express that love. And it's like, okay, that might be true, but that doesn't make his behavior okay. Which we get back to the only sequel where they fall in love is extremely problematic. Right. So the one thing that we are constantly talking about when we talk about if you wrote a sequel to this is, is there anything that Eric can do to redeem himself in a way that makes him now worthy of someone loving him? Wait, is After Eric, what is Eric he's the done. Phantom? Yeah, sorry, Eric is the Phantom. <laughs> I totally didn't know he had a name. <laughs> he does in the books. He does it in the show. So Sarah's love is a little more pure, it sounds like. Yeah, like for me, I mean, that's kind of what the crux of it is, is that it's fascinating to me that people can watch the same material and take something so different. Oh, and we don't have time to away. talk about Harley Quinn today. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but spoiler alert. But yeah, that's no. That's going to come up. But it is that similar thing, right, is that... And we've talked about this, too, is when you're a kid, I used to, and this is also something I know that you have feelings about, is that I used to watch The Little Mermaid when I was a little kid, the Disney movie, and I'd be like, oh, they're so great, and love is so wonderful, and oh, Ariel just wants to be herself, and her dad is telling her what to do, and that's so awful. And then as you get older, you start to realize, oh, man, Ariel, you're the worst. You don't even know this guy. It's very Romeo and Juliet. Right. What is going on? (laughs) And I think that sort of ability for me to grow up and and view the show in such a different way than maybe I had the first time I saw it is also really fascinating to me. To have those discussions because there are people who honestly see this as like this great romantic story when all I can see is, thank God, Christine was able to get away. He's kind of a cool, like, badass tough guy, though. He's got a lot of kind of cool tricks that he can do. He's a good villain, in my opinion. I mean, and how often does the villain get to be the main character, the title character? That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, it's like how we were talking about, well, we have a lot of discussions about these sorts of characters and how they're treated over time, right? We could do a whole other podcast on that, too. And maybe we will. Maybe we should. I'm really realizing... So now you've definitely pushed me into the love to hate on these kind of stories camp. Uh-huh. So this, or Twilight. Is a Fifty Shades of Grey movie coming the out right third now? one, I, I feel like I've seen too much of it right now. And similarly, I get that a lot of people find those stories romantic, but I just think I have a really different idea well, you, of what is appealing to me. You brought up the Harlequin romances yeah. earlier, and a lot of those stories have similar yeah. problems, right? That it's about being swept off your feet in a way that is romantic in a very childlike sense, but on deeper inspection is, is pretty abusive and scary. And super controlling. <laughs> Right, and I guess some of it comes down to if you're approaching the story with just total starry-eyed, yes, this is romance, or 
realizing that romance actually isn't usually the basis of a really solid relationship anyway. <laughs> right? Like, we're all married. <laughs> and I would argue that my marriage has never been particularly romantic, and that's what I like about it. It's about something less superficial and more deep than romance. Romance is very high school to me. Uh-huh. Whereas love is something else. Love right. is something more quiet and more subtle than romance. Mm-hmm. You know, so flowers and candy is romance, but very expensive metal dice, that's love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is absolutely one of the things that I find so fascinating about not just Phantom of the Opera as a show, but as a phenomenon, is it's sold as a romance. Whether you want Christine to end up with Raoul or Phantom. But they're both problematic. And Christine is like totally damseled. So much. And the only time that she starts to stick up for herself, she's swept under the rug by the guys. And it's growing up and re-watching that and looking at it through a different lens is also really interesting to me. Because it shows my own progression and my own growth. Because that material has pretty much stayed the same for 30 years. But I haven't stayed the same. So in the end, the one you've really learned to love is yourself. (laughs) Oh Oh, my god. Aaron, that was amazing. Well, I feel like we're getting and close to a wrap-up. And that is the end so. of the Ladies of Kamikaze Therapy Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to end it, though. <laughs> In all seriousness, do we want to have any final thoughts? <laughs> I will probably continue to obsess over <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, and I'm probably going to go home right after this and go check out some more reviews and analysis and whatever. But I'd be curious to know, like, in five years, ten years... And will that show even still be on Broadway? I have no idea. But how my views change over time. Well, it would be interesting. How does the current political landscape affect those kinds of stories? Hmm. Do people still have an appetite for that? That type of romance and that type of relationship? In the era of Me Too. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. That's a good question. Actually, that would be really interesting. If anyone needs to write a thesis, there you go. (laughs) Free for you. Sarah, any final thoughts? I think I've said mostly what I have to say about it. I do find myself getting really interested in these shows, movies, narratives that generally they're not very good objectively, but they'll have this one thing Mm -hmm. that just really stands out and seems greater than the rest of the material and just thinking about that and why it works that way is really interesting to me right like that missed opportunity like this could have been something so amazing Mm -hmm. and you started off with this beautiful little kernel or seed and then it just died and what could have been done to cultivate it and make it something really beautiful well so that's the end of our sort of depressing love podcast (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next month for more of us just talking about stuff. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Valerie here. And on behalf of all of the ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. 
There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including LadiesCon. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.